friendship and love. Love is grace and love is truth. It's both. So when you're looking for your friends, if you're looking for friends who just always tell you what you want to hear, they're not really true friends, okay? True biblical friends tell you truth and they give you grace. Love is grace, love is truth. Look at this verse here from Proverbs chapter 27. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Hey, question today as we start for you, loved ones. How many 2 a.m. friends do you have? How many people do you know that you would pick up the phone and be there for you in a crisis at 2 a.m.? Welcome back to Live in the Light. We're glad that you have joined us here today as we look at the life of David, in particular today, at the power of biblical friendship. Specifically, we're going to look at six characteristics of what a good friend looks like, a biblical friend. And as Pastor Robbie will explain, God's word is meant for us not to evaluate others, but more so to ask honest questions of ourselves and see what kind of friend we are to those around us. A convicting word for sure, but also a very encouraging one, we pray. Let's join Pastor Robbie now in 1 Samuel 23 with today's message. I love sometimes like we read God's word and we get, but this is just, just taking one little section from one little part of God's scripture and look at what Paul has referred to Titus as. Brother, fellow worker, companion, now my true child. See how deep the gospel is? This is what the gospel produces, man. Titus is the true child because of why? Faith. This is what a friendship of support, a friendship of strength looks like biblically. This is what God wants to do in us. Question, question, do we have that in our lives? Do we have that? What a thing to pray for if we see it lacking. And Jonathan here for David. Jonathan does what? Jonathan strengthens David's hand in God. Jonathan comes alongside him and points him to the Lord, okay? But understand this. Jonathan cannot give out what he does not have within him. It takes someone who is filled with God to share God with, with others. Make sure you under, I cannot give what I do not have. I cannot teach what I do not know. I cannot lead where I do not go. So it's the one receiving. I love um, in the gospel of John, uh, whoever believes in me shall receive um, faith and then out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Notice what Jesus is saying there, the intake and the outtake. You intake through faith in Christ and the outtake is out of his heart. The believer will flow rivers of living water. So we receive from Christ and then we dispense to others. Now be very careful in our day, word of warning, okay? In our day, um, this superficial means of friendship. Let's just take social media. Social media is so often um, an inch deep Right? And it just, it has, it has, it's so little. Okay, so I'm not on Facebook, okay? Woohoo! All right, all right. If you are, no problem, no problem. Nothing, I'm just like, just one last thing I have to worry about. On Facebook, I understand you, you, you friend a lot. Is that right? Is that right? I've, I've literally been on it like three times in my life, okay? So you make friends all the time, right? Let me just ask you, what, what definition of friend is Facebook working with there? 
I mean, honestly, I mean, you just, you, what definition of friend are you working with? Wait, as the majority of you are on Facebook right now, I guess half the world is right now, right? What, what definition of friend are you working with in your life? Now be careful here. Are you taking that definition and applying it through your whole life? Is this somehow seeping into the way you think and how you're acting? I don't know that if this is true or not. I wonder though, if more people through their friends on Facebook, due to all the jealousy, the comparison, the analyzation, the false fronts of people's lives make it look like way better than it actually is. I wonder if more people have a feeling of depression through Facebook than actual intimacy and friendship. I, I don't know the answer, but I wonder how many people sitting there scrolling through all their stuff sometimes, and at the end of the day, they feel worse, and they're actually fighting thoughts of discouragement and depression because they can't add out to who they want to be because all their friends... I'm not judging anything right now, okay? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm posing questions. I don't know the, I don't know the answer, but I just have to wonder as I, as I contrast it with the Bible's definition of friendship, at the very least, loved ones, be very careful. You're not falling into the trap of some superficial approach to life that will bring you down, haul you out, and make you empty inside because that's the ways of the world and that's fundamentally the demonic system of Satan, Okay? It's not a sin to be on Facebook. Don't send me emails about Facebook, okay? Do not do that, okay? It's not a sin to be on Facebook. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying examine with wisdom where you are in this life and what does friendship mean to you? So when we think of receiving and dispensing, I love the picture. Uh, when I'm uh, in my morning with, with God, I'm at the fueling station. I'm at the fueling station, right? You run a race, cycle, right? You get to a fueling station you, and you get the fluids in and you, and you get some nutrients and you get energy to go out then and, then and then be a blessing or be fruitful and a fueling station in Christ. God, I receive from you and then I go out in my day and I want to bless others. It's a wonderful picture. Receive from him and then go throughout your day. I literally pray this a lot and then say, can I be a blessing to many uh, other people? So the last couple of years, um, I've picked up uh, cycling as a bit of um, hobby exercise. I'm not very good at it. I don't go very fast. I'm just, but I tried to run for a while. That didn't work out. My knee got hurt. And I mean, cycling, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's good. Season's back in. I'm excited about that. Weather's getting a little warmer. Praise the Lord. Amen, Canada. Praise the Lord. We're thankful for that. But part of getting into cycling, I started watching a few races now on TV. And the race, the, rest, the one race I actually watched is Tour de France. Ever heard of that? Tour de France. In past years, I was like, that's the boringest thing in the history of the world. But once you start doing it a little bit, you start understanding why they're doing what they're doing. And it's actually quite fascinating. So you start watching this race and you learn each team, six, eight, 10 guys on a team and they're all world-class amazing. But one of the things you watch is in these big races, hundreds of kilometers long, there's the best racers, but then there's like the bottom of the pack of their team. And these guys are essentially our glorified water boys. And they, and they get, they're incredible racers, but they get all this water and they stack on their backs or in a bag and they go back to the back of the race where the cars are. They get all the water bottles, they put them on and they run as fast as they can. I'm like running there, right? They cycle as fast as they can and they get to the front of the pack. They give the leaders the water and then often they'll trail back again to the back and refuel and then try the cycle again. And I'm looking at that. I'm just like, man, I kind of want that to be me. Like I want to be, a glorified water boy for the glory of God, right? For the glory of God. And just like I receive, but then you go throughout your life and you're just like, hey, do you need some? 
Can I give you some refreshment? Do you need, even right now, loved ones, like just do what God's entrusted me with in this ministry and open up God's word. I just, I just would love it if in some form God would use me in some simple way, but just to dispense grace and to fuel you through his grace that we might be encouraged as, as friends to go on in this life and be used for the Lord. And you have the same opportunity in your life. And to say, God, would you fuel me that I might see rivers of living water flow from my life? And this was Jonathan. Jonathan, he went to David and then he strengthened David. So again, before you start thinking, okay, who's this in my life? Who can be that for me? No, no, no. Let's remember, who can I be that for? How can I change and be a true friend biblically for those in my life? A friendship of support, a friendship of strength. Thirdly, this, um, a friendship of faith, of faith. So look at verse 17 now. And Jonathan said to David, okay, here's the faith, ready? Do not fear. Jonathan breathes, breathes life into David. Do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, uh, shall not find you, okay? How wonderful is it when our faith is shaking and teetering in the wind and we're on the brink of falling apart that God sends a friend to come in and speak a word of faith into our lives. Uh, Proverbs 12, verse 25 says, anxiety and a man's heart weighs him down. Listen, listen, ready? I love this, but a good word makes him glad. That's why often I'm talking to someone, I'll be like, that's a good word. And often what I mean by that is that I needed to hear that. That's a, thank you for speaking that truth into my life. And then Jonathan goes to David and says, do not fear. For Saul, my father, he will not find you. And, and how did Jonathan know this? Or was he, but he was, he was speaking out of faith. He was speaking faith. And notice the faith in Jonathan 2 in verse 17, where he says also, he says, look at verse 17. He says, and you shall be king over Israel. Now he's speaking truth there. Now he would not see the day where David became king. He would actually die before that happened. But he speaks this truth by faith. Notice this to loved ones. Remember, Jonathan is the heir of the throne. Jonathan is the crown prince. And he says to David, he says, but you will be king one day and I shall be by your side. Unbelievable. That's such faith. He is, he is, he is looking over now. He is passing over the, the spears of Saul and he is remembering the anointing oil of Samuel. What is that? That is faith. That is friendship and how we are so, we are so blessed as friends come up to us and we are blessed as we go up to friends as well. And when they need a word of encouragement in truth, I want to say this too, Okay. Friendship and love. Love is grace and love is truth. It's both. So when you're looking for your friends, if you're looking for friends who just always tell you what you want to hear, they're not really true friends, okay? True biblical friends tell you truth and they give you grace. Love is grace, love is truth. Look at this verse here from Proverbs chapter 27. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What we're tempted to do, um, surround ourselves with people who coddle us. That's not gonna help us at the end of the day. If you have someone in your life who's able in love with humility to tell you the truth, that is a true friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But this is a friendship built on faith. It's a friendship built on faith and ultimately rooted in Christ, in the Trinity, rooted in the faith of Jesus Christ. This was Jonathan. 
He was a friend of support. He was a friend of strength. He was a friend of faith. Number four, he was a friend of sacrifice, a friend of sacrifice. Look again at verse 17. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. So here's the incredible humility and sacrifice of Jonathan. Jonathan should be on the throne next, humanly speaking, but Jonathan, he sees the hand of God. He steps aside joyfully for the will of God. And I love how he says, and I shall be next to you. That's amazing, isn't it? That's beautiful. This is the humility and sacrifice of loving second place. Another question for us right now. Do you, do we love second place? Our flesh doesn't, but the spirit of God within us does a lot. Do we love second place? You know, um, our youth ministry many years ago and part of a theme of our church that we had that year, I want to put up, they had this image here that they used to build upon this theme and it was in the form of a license plate. You see that, it was in 0506, but this is about you before me. I love that. And uh, Harvest Youth built in John 3.30, um, I must decrease, Christ must increase, John the Baptist, you before me. And, and isn't that a great, I mean, not just for our youth here today, but this is the principle of friendship. This is what we're talking about and that this would be our license plate. I mean, that, that's brilliant. I've always liked that. And I remember that this week and we did that so many years ago. But God, help us to be in this place. Help us to believe in the power that as we become less, we actually find more of the Lord within our lives. Jonathan, remember, was under tremendous pressure. I'm not gonna ask you to turn there, but a couple chapters earlier, when Jonathan went to find out how mad his father was, his son, Saul, lambased Jonathan by um, 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 accusing him of awful things and, and offending his mother and the woman he was born from the shame of her nakedness. And then in that, uh, Jonathan defends David and then Saul throws a spear at his own son. And Saul says, don't you understand? As long as David is alive, you won't have the kingdom. You won't have the kingdom and you won't be on the throne. But then Jonathan's like, but David's done nothing wrong. So, so Jonathan was under immense pressure to conform to the wishes of his father, whom he wanted to honor in some level. I just want us to see here the power of this friendship. Jonathan chose to become less and believing that in that process, he was honoring the Lord and he was loving David as well. It's no surprise that one of the greatest lessons Jesus taught to his friends was to get down with a towel and a basin and to wash their feet. No surprise, isn't it? That Jesus was teaching us right there that greatness, true greatness is lowliness. Now, loved ones, one of the temptations right here, okay? The temptations, you come into a church like this or whatever, this happens to a lot of people. They come in here and they sit on the sidelines at the back against the wall on a chair in the foyer and they just wait and like, who's gonna love me? Who's gonna love me? I'm gonna wait here till someone comes up to me and loves me. No one talks to me. No one loves me. No one says, no one says that. Okay, what's wrong with that picture, okay? And I have no problem saying this right now, okay? Okay, the problem with that picture is it's not Jesus. Jesus did not wait to be loved. Jesus did not wait till someone came up to him. Jesus didn't wait until disciples washed his feet. Jesus didn't wait. And Jesus took the initiative everywhere he went. If you really want to be like Jesus, be the one who initiates the love, acts out in love, be the friend you desire to have. And wouldn't it be something as you choose to be that friend, you'll probably find that friend. 
Love is very attractive. People love love. You love in that way. But again, if one of the people sit back and I feel sorry for myself, so pity, I don't think that's biblical. I don't think that's Christ-like. And again, I don't have any issues say, challenging you with that right now. Initiate love, humble yourself. You before me, I must increase. Christ loves me. Who can I love? And I bet you good things begin to happen. So often in our foolishness, we do something and we hurting ourselves in the process. No one loves me, no one loves me, no one loves me. And well, who wants to? The grumpy person, they're just all, that's not very attractive, but the person giving themselves in that way, that's very attractive. It's also mentioned very biblical. This is what a friendship of sacrifice does. It's not about me, but the person who's making it about them, it's not long before they are tainted with jealousy, ruined with envy, diseased with self-interest, and contaminated with pride. Because really, at the end of the day, I want this, I want that, you're not there. It's really about you. That's why any strong marriage must have at its foundation self-sacrifice. Ephesians 5, it's, it's, it's the key passage for marriage in the New Testament. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh, how did Christ love her? By giving himself up for her. Wives, submit yourselves uh, to your husbands as is fitting for the Lord. See, when you see the power of what Christ has done, you lower yourself out of love for the other person. That's a marriage that works. You show me a marriage where they're trying to outdo one another showing honor and serving each other. You show me a marriage that's, that's fired up with love. Not perfect, but it is working. You show me a friendship in the same way. Friendship is built on self-sacrifice. You give of self, not because you want to receive back, because you love. But in, in, in inherently, God, God brings that return to us because he's so kind and he's so good and he's so... See, listen, I, I read this quote this week. It's very powerful. I want you to see this. I want you to think about this. Jonathan Holmes, okay? Watch out as... I, I want friends. I want friends. I want... Okay, why the why? Be careful. Be careful, okay? Here's what he says. In the pursuit of the friendship with others, we can neglect our primary calling to pursue Christ. See, when it's about us, then it's not about Christ. But see, Trinitarian, foundational, Christ-centered, gospel-filled friendship is ultimately about Christ. Christ in us and then through us. But the friendship we so ardently search for becomes our functional savior. Watch out, watch out, right? See, if our pursuit of our friendship is not about Christ, it's about us. It's a horizontal thing. And if, if, if we're seeking in someone else to be our functional savior, that's self-serving. That's just self-motivated. That's, that won't work. I think this is deep stuff, and I hope you're getting it. If we are serving, seeking friendship as a distraction from our boring life, as an escape from our loneliness, and a source as comfort in difficult times only, that's idolatry. Because what is it? You be my friend to fix my problems, serve my needs, and, and, and achieve for me happiness. That'll never work out. That's why you have individuals, no one can ever meet their expectations. People are always letting them down because ultimately it's rooted in them. It's not rooted in Christ. That's a tough, that's a tough piece of truth to hear. But I get to say it right now, and I don't know who it's for, but God does. Do we have enough wisdom to receive if we're in that place that friendship is really about meeting our expectations and our needs? 
and we form functional saviors in our life as opposed to the savior. See, the friendship has to be one of sacrifice, a friendship of support, of strength, of faith, of sacrifice. And then let's get to number five, this, a friendship of loyalty, a friendship of loyalty. So look at verse 18 now. Verse 18, it says this, and the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. So they make a covenant, okay? A covenant is what we think it is in in English, a treaty, an alliance. It's a resolve. This is a friendship that's gonna last to the end. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, okay? What I want us to understand is the conflict that Jonathan found himself in as we see his loyalty to David. Jonathan loved his father, Saul. He did. Saul started off okay. Started off pretty good, actually. But then he plummeted down. Jonathan wanted to be loyal to Saul. He proves this as he dies with Saul in battle. He he ends his life because he's loyal to his dad. Even though his dad, and he knew his dad was a total fool. But then he's loyal to David. His heart just, okay, put yourself in Jonathan's shoes. His heart is so conflicted. But because he loves God and loves God the most, he also loves David. And Saul's doing everything he can to take the love from Jonathan away from David. But Jonathan just won't do it because he loves the Lord. A little insight right here too. Do you see how dangerous nepotism can be? Nepotism is the favoritism towards a family. And if anyone was tempted towards nepotism, some of us are here right now, our, um, our parents, our siblings, our children, it's like, doesn't matter. We will easily sin for the sake of siding with our family. Easily sin. It blinds us. That's foolishness. Jonathan was so tempted with nepotism, but Jonathan, um, he passed that test and he loved God more so that he knew where God was really at work and God was really at work within David, even if it meant that he would suffer alongside uh, his father. It's quite something. So this is when um, in 2 Samuel 1, when Saul and Jonathan die in battle, David shows up and he says, oh, that famous verse, oh, how the mighty have fallen. It's right there. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. And then he says, and he speaks of Jonathan and Jonathan, which had a love that surpassed women. Okay. What is that? It's a beautiful, pure, biblical description of a friendship between men rooted in the Lord. That was just so powerful. It was a love so powerful. David says it, it surpassed the love of women. But notice the loyalty of Jonathan's love. You know, a modern day example of this kind of love, and it's fictional, but one that most of you will be aware of, it's in Lord of the Rings. And it's the friendship between Frodo and Sam. And if you've seen those movies unfold, you see the friendship of the hobbits and what's there and just even their willingness to suffer with Frodo as he carries. I mean, you know, Tolkien who wrote this and was a, a man who feared the Lord and all the different, I mean, who knows if he was thinking about David and John? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. But as, as Frodo seeks to carry this weight and Sam's like, you're not going to do it alone. He's like, I can't carry it for you, but I'm going to be with you to support you and all the way along. And even when, when Frodo's mistreating Sam and as Sam's seen as a traitor, all that kind of stuff. And Sam and his resolve to support and the loyalty. The scene where I love so much at the end, and I think because there's so much Bible in us, we appreciate these powerful moments when uh, Frodo wakes up at the end, he's lying in the bed. And then one by one, the people come in to, to see him. And everyone comes in, I believe, until the end, and Sam. And Sam walks in the room, and they did a really good job there. And without saying a word, you can see on the faces of Frodo and Sam the connection of the friendship 
that was so deep and so powerful. As much as the other friends were there in the room and they were so great, there was something so different and so special with the loyalty that was demonstrated on behalf, especially of Sam towards Frodo. And anyone with any kind of spiritual pulse at all will look at that and just understand this is what only the Lord can truly produce within our lives. It's a, it's a level of loyalty that is rooted in the gospel. And so as we seek to uh, draw to a close of this message on friendship, what I want you to understand is I seek to be a friend of support, of strength, of faith, of sacrifice, of loyalty in this way, okay? The danger right now is to say, oh, that's a pretty good horizontal message. What I mean by that's a that's a good moralistic message that I'm hearing right now. And we've had lots of different parts that have been vertical, but I wanna just make abundantly clear right now as we end. There's no way you and I can be this kind of friend if we're horizontal. The only way you and I will ultimately be able to be this kind of friend is if it's supernatural. And the supernatural comes from above. The supernatural comes from Jesus Christ. Loved ones, Jesus Christ is the friend above all friends. Let's just unpack Jesus Christ as our friend through our outline. Jesus is my support. Think about this. Through the gospel, through the life of Christ, initiated and acted upon us in love. Think about it. He called us. If we're saved right now, if we're saved right now, he called us. He chose us. He saved us. He intercedes for us right now. That is, that is immeasurable support that only Christ can bring. By grace, you've been saved through faith. Because of the great love with which he loved us, he has made us alive. He has now raised us with him in the heavenly places. Heavenly places. Only Jesus Christ can give this kind of eternal support. He's my support. Jesus is my strength. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a friend I want then, because if I don't have him as a friend, I can't do anything. But with Christ, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Jesus also is the one who gives us a spirit of wisdom and understanding. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's of Jesus that it's talked about, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. It's in Jesus we are taught, train yourselves to renounce ungodliness to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Jesus is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is our strength. Jesus is our faith. It's Jesus who came out to his disciples and says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It's Jesus who says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should bear fruit. It's Jesus who said this, I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again to take you to myself. No other friend can speak with such faith. And of course, Jesus, he's my sacrifice, all right. Jesus was mocked and scorned and scourged and crucified. It was Jesus that sweat drop of blood in the garden of Gethsemane as he pondered suffering the wrath of God for me and you. It was Jesus who suffered in such a way through his sacrifice on the cross that he cried out, my God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? It was Jesus who forsook his glory with the Father and humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. It was Jesus who bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It was the wounds of Jesus by which we are healed. Jesus is our sacrifice and Jesus is my loyalty. There's no friend like Jesus. It's Jesus who promises loved ones, listen and be blessed. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
Jesus says he promises to complete what he has started. Jesus says, I will lose none of whom the Father has given me. Jesus says, I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says, all who believe in me shall never die. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus says at the end of the Great Commission, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Who is as loyal as no one? No one, no one even close. Jesus is the friend of all friends. No wonder then Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you are my friends. Amazing. But then he says this after that, you are my friends if you do as I command you. You see, so as we fuel ourselves in Jesus Christ, we are filled with the fuel of true, biblical, pure, awesome friendship. And this is what the Lord wants to give in us. It starts with him and as he fills us, then we start to become Jonathans to the Davids in our lives. And I pray right now you believe as God works in you this way, as we become less, we truly find joy and satisfaction and the blessing of giving is far better than receiving. May it be so, amen, church? Thanks for listening to Live in the Light today. If you'd like to hear this message again or any messages in this series, visit us online at liveinthelight.ca. Thanks for listening today. Join us next time on Live in the Light. Oh, yeah. I wanna-